Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. On this episode of Newt's World... As schools begin to reopen around the country, many of America's school children are back to in-person learning for the first time since the pandemic began. I wanted to explore the impact of the COVID-19 shutdowns on our school-aged children. In his new book, Hollowed Out, Jeremy Adams reveals how a combination of excess media, isolation, alienation from tradition, and the effects of COVID-19 shutdowns are creating an avalanche of issues for this new generation. The statistics he points to are alarming. Here are just a few. Between 2007 and 2017, teen depression rose by 63% and suicide in children ages 10 to 24 jumped 56%. Under the COVID-19 lockdowns, it is estimated that young people's screen time increased by five hours a day. And in 1980, 60% of teens read for pleasure every day. By 2016, that number dropped to 16%. Here to discuss more of what this young generation is now facing, I'm very pleased to welcome my guest, Jeremy Adams. His new book, Hollowed Out, A Warning About America's Next Generation, is out now. Jeremy, it's great to have you here. Good day, Mr. Speaker. Great to be with you. Would you share a little bit of your background as an educator? Because you come at this from a very sympathetic, pro-learning background. 
Yeah, I do. I am a lifelong teacher. It is the only thing I've ever done with my life. It's the only thing I ever want to do with my life. So I started teaching in 1998, and this is starting yesterday. It was my 24th year as a high school teacher. I'll tell you what's really, really interesting is I do feel, Mr. Speaker, like I do have a bit of a privileged perspective. You know, teachers, we oftentimes, you know, we'll look at the headlines. There'll be some story in the New York Times or the Atlantic or the Wall Street Journal bemoaning some of the things that you just talked about, the suicide rate, the absolute monomaniacal obsession with screens, the loneliness. And it's interesting because we teachers who have kind of been in the trenches for a while, you know, we tend to see this a little bit sooner than everybody else. And so you're right, I'm not a politician, I'm not a pundit, I'm not famous, but what I do have is an absolute front seat. And I wrote this book because I'm telling people it's more terrifying than a Stephen King novel. When did you first notice that things were changing? That's a great question. In the last five or 10 years, it really is somewhat recent. I know that you come from an educational background too. I know that you are a college professor. What I love about teaching is the personal relationships, You know, talking to the students, getting to know their backgrounds. And what would happen is, you know, they would start to say things that I found to be kind of odd, kind of alarming. And as time went on, it got weirder and more alarming. Just to give you a few examples, I started to talk to students about, you know, meals, and I found out kids don't eat with their families anymore. We now spend more money on fast food in this country than we do on the groceries. I realized kids, they're not only are they not religious, not only do they not go to church with their parents, They don't really know anything about religion. And then you talk about football games and movies and dating. And then I noticed the kids weren't going. I mean, Bakersfield High School, where I teach, Mr. Speaker, football is the gospel. It is like everybody goes to a football game on a Friday night. And I started to notice that the stands were empty. And I asked the kids, where are you? And they said, well, I'm at home. I'd rather socialize with my friends at home in my room when I'm by myself. And then most alarming of all, I'm a civics teacher. I fell in love with America when I was a student at Washington and Lee University. And the way they look at this country, the way they look at the American experiment, the way they look at our history, you know, I started to notice they wouldn't say the Pledge of Allegiance. They wouldn't stand for the national anthem. And you connect all these things, and it really is kind of a hollowed out paradigm of life. I'm curious, why did you pick the term hollowed out? Well, because, you know, when I think about all the things that fill in my soul, to be honest, all the things that make my life worth living, all the experiences when I was a teenager that gave me joy, those filled in my being. They made me whole. And if you remove those things, I mean, imagine a childhood where you don't eat with your family, where teachers are kind of seen more as therapeutic, social, emotional supporters instead of kind of high academic standards. Imagine a childhood where you spend most of your time alone, a childhood where you consume nine to 10 hours a day of content on your phone, which is all about how awful your country is, how we have this sprawling history of oppression. And so the things that make my life good, Mr. Speaker, are my family. It's my faith. It's my community. It's my country. It's my friendships. Now imagine a childhood where all those things are gone and you'd be hollowed out too. You have two different things going on here, though. You have the indoctrination, if you will, of those in the school system who want to make sure you don't like America, et cetera. But you also seem to have, in the culture randomly at large, a series of really unhealthy patterns that have grown 
and gotten even stronger. And, and maybe, I don't know to what degree they are empowered, for example, by screens, whether it's a smartphone or an iPad or a laptop, or the amount of time spent playing games. But it strikes me that there are these overlapping worlds, if you will, all of which tend to break down the old order and lead towards some kind of chaotic and, in a way, the world in which all of my normal social ties have sort of evaporated. You know, I think that that's right. And I think that what's interesting is the way that I phrase it is when I listen to my students talk about their values and their morality, the way that they want to move forward in their lives, it's interesting, Mr. Speaker, because it's not that they don't want to find love, but they just don't want to get married. It's not that they don't have attachments to things, but they want to have pets instead of children. There's just a lack of connection to really permanent, meaningful things in their lives. And it's a kind of postmodern radical individualism where you and I think of freedom in terms of what makes my life meaningful is I can freely connect to people and places and ideals and institutions that give my life purpose and order and a sense of structure. Whereas young people interpret freedom very differently. They interpret freedom as the freedom to not connect to anything. And what you were describing was perfect. I'm going to play video games instead of going out. I'm going to acquire a value system, you know, not from my mom and my dad, but from celebrities and Instagram influencers. When I first started teaching American government, we would talk issues. And I remember the students would always talk about my mom, my dad, my pastor, my older brother. And it's interesting because nowadays they never talk about their parents. They never talk about those kinds of intimate relationships that kind of give us a sense of normality. I've come to the conclusion in my teaching life that whatever era you grow up in is kind of your normality. And so it's, it's interesting. The reason why it's frankly surreal talking to you, sir, is because I grew up in the 90s. You know, you were my speaker of the house, right? And so, you know, kind of the way I look at politics from the 90s, which is it can be rough, it can be abrasive, but we are Americans first and foremost. We can get meaningful things done that we're not just there to give speeches. We are there to create meaningful accords of compromise and consensus and progress. You know, all those achievements of the 90s that I grew up watching, Mr. Speaker, my students never saw any of that. They didn't see a Democratic president signing welfare reform with the Republican Congress. They are so cynical about politics. And so it really is hard to teach those kinds of meaningful attachments and affections for our institutions. Is that cynicism, which I assume they carry beyond graduation, is that part of why California politics now is so totally dysfunctional? Being a Californian, let me just tell you, what we have done to young people in the state of California is somewhere along the way, we convinced them that the measure of a compassionate society, the measure of a civilization's merit is not how citizens live their lives, not how they use their freedom and their individual liberty, which is how you and I probably see it. Somewhere along the way, we convinced all of these Californians that the measure of a great civilization is how many services we provide to young people. And if you have that mind frame, that idea that something is owed to me and that I should feel good about myself before I achieve anything. And that if I don't do well, it's because somebody did harm to me, even if I don't know who they are, even if it's systemic, even if it's impersonal, even if it's implicit, it is what I call in the book, American fatalism. And it kills me because this country was founded on the idea of agency, that you know we are not given our rights by altar and throne. We are given our rights by God and nature 
and we can live the life that we want to live, except all these young people are now becoming fatalists. They believe that they are kind of pawns in this oppressive game, and that the only correction to that is a big government. And so does it lead them to a kind of passivity and that there's nothing they can do about it? Government has to step in and do it or it won't happen. That's exactly right. So what is the corrective to these kind of impersonal, inimical power structures that are affecting you? The answer is big government, right? The answer is a kind of a therapeutic activist society where only government can be the arbiter. And of course, you and I know that the more power you give government, the more corrupt it's going to go. You go look in all of the socialist governments, the party families and the elites and the bureaucrats always got the money and the power and the prestige. But again, they don't know that. When I was writing the book, one of the things that sometimes you come across a statistic that really bothers you. And I'm sure you've heard this, but I had to look it up twice that there was a poll that was taken a few years ago for 18 to 29 year olds. And they have a more positive view of socialism than they do capitalism. And that literally takes my breath away because, you know, I'm a child of the 80s and 90s. I was in junior high when the Berlin Wall fell, except, you know, a lot of these young people have grown up in the era of Bernie. And they really do believe that when they think of socialism, Mr. Speaker, you know, they're not thinking of Cuba or Czechoslovakia. They're thinking of Finland, even though the Finns would never call themselves socialists. So I just think a real lack of education about the harms of that value system and really kind of a lack of empowerment and impassionment about the American experiment, not understanding the gift that they have been given. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. (laughs) I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. 
You fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. What did the process of closing everything down do to students and the notion that they were going to learn from home, et cetera? What was the effect of all that? That's a great question. You know, essentially what it did was it took these huge problems the students already had, and it just simply amplified, accelerated, and put an exclamation point on it. I oftentimes give this statistic that before the pandemic, my students were spending nine or 10 hours a day on their devices. And even before, they weren't dating, they weren't going to the movies, not going to football games, like I said before, not reading books, and they were already lonely. In the beginning of the show, you talked about the absolute mental health crisis of these young people, and the word that I would use, and again, if you're not in the classroom, you might not be aware of this, but the word that teachers hear all the time now is anxiety. Anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. And really what these lockdowns have done is it's made the students even more anxious than they were before. You know, they already live in a world, one of the big ideas of the book is that this generation is unique, not just because they're unhappy, but because they're growing up and they're being socialized in a world without adults. I mean, they literally don't spend time with adults. For a lot of them, the teachers in their lives were the most important adult relationship that they had. Now, of course, it shouldn't be that way, but it was. And what this lockdown did was, Mr. Speaker, is it took that relationship away. I've noticed that a lot of these kids are having trouble coming back to normal life. I find them to be very fearful of the world. I think our capacity to have any kind of risk assessment as a society has completely gone away. We are never going to be completely safe. And the kids, they are scared. They're more isolated. And I find that they can't hold the conversation. They don't look me in the eye. They don't want to get involved in the class as much. One of the things I've also noticed is it used to be that if you had time at the end of class, and you said, okay, two or three minutes, everybody do what you want. They would chat, they would gossip, they would flirt. Now they just take out their phones and just scroll and self-medicate all day. So this is a generational schism we've created between kind of normal ways of being socialized, normal aspirations, and what we see with this hollowed out generation. To what extent is that technological and that, I mean, frankly, even among adults, the number who pull out their smartphone or pull out their iPad if you look at an airplane, for example, it's an amazing number of people before takeoff who are busy just writing away. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. My best friend from high school is a pilot for Delta. And he's an interesting guy because he really fell in love with reading and learning in his early 30s. Really wasn't particularly academic. And then he discovered one of the great writers of all time, Leo Tolstoy. And he started reading very deeply. And he said, you know, when I'm in the airport, it's just like what you noticed. He says, nobody reads. Everybody is on their phone. And I don't know about you, but I find that these devices have kind of ruined my concentration. I used to be able to read for an hour and a half. I remember being in college and reading a little book called To Renew America when I was on vacation and read it in a day or two. Nice plug, I have to say. <laughs> I like you dropping that one in. That was good. But you know what, though? It is true. That's why that era of my life, when I was reading those books, I could really focus. I remember sitting there reading two books, Your To Renew America, and I also was reading Jean-Jacques Rousseau. And I remember spending hours a day on that vacation focused, reading, and young people just can't do that anymore. So to answer your question, what I would say is kind of this culture of radical individualism that I should not have to attach to anything that requires anything of me, relationships, my country, a faith, none of it. That's the broadest problem. But I would say that the technology is essentially kind of the gas on the fire of our culture that already existed. And to me, that's kind of a core conservative principle is that it's not politics that drives societies. It's really culture first and foremost. And their culture is rotten. It is absolutely individualistic and narcissistic. And the phones feed into that. One of the side effects of all this that I've understood least is the willingness of the younger generation to take the risk with fentanyl, since it's so clear that fentanyl kills. I mean, it's a huge jump from something like marijuana to taking fentanyl. But what do you think is happening? And it's almost as though there's a cycle of nihilism where people just don't care. That's exactly right. In public policy, we call this deaths of despair, right? That, that's what we call it is, you know, drug usage and alcohol. But, you know, if you want my view of it, I want you to imagine being a young person and you're not married, right? You don't have a family. You don't have any religious faith. You don't love your country. You don't see any contribution to your community. You don't have close relationships. I mean, one of the statistics that always breaks my heart is one out of five millennials say they don't have a good friend in the entire world. Half of all 18 to 34 year olds don't have a romantic partner. So, you know, if you inhabit not a meaningful universe, but like you said, a nihilistic one where there is no higher good, there is no greatest good, there is no transcendent truth, there is no absolute justice. You and I live our things in pursuit of ideals. You know, you in the political sphere, me in the educational sphere, because we believe in these transcendent goods, right? And I want you to imagine being a young person. And Mr. Speaker, imagine if you don't have any of those things. How would you look at the world? How would you feel? You might take refuge in fentanyl or drugs as well. And that's how I explain it. As you see these patterns building, what are the long-term ramifications? It sounds very sobering. Well, there are two. There's an individual ramification. And then I think there's also a ramification for the country. So individually, it's very simple. We're going to create a generation of young people who cannot find the good life. They cannot find meaning. They cannot find joy. And that breaks my heart. And I see it. I see it, Mr. Speaker, in a lot of my young kind of former students who are in their 30s, their 20s, and they never put the time into connecting to difficult things. And so, I mean, I think of my 20s and, you know, I was starting a career, buying a house, getting married, having kids. And it was hard. I mean, I remember how hard it was to start a marriage, start a family, start a career. 
But eventually, you know, those things become the foundation of my life and my happiness. Two days ago, I just dropped off my daughter to college, which is every bit as awful and emotionally draining as they say it is. But as sad as I was, I can't imagine a life where I didn't have that child's love. And so I, we are creating a generation that's not gonna know what that feels like. But the second thing, and now I'm gonna put on my civics teacher hat is, you and I both know that democracy is more than just a form of government. It requires a certain kind of disposition in our young people. I have a theory about why our politics has become so toxic, on the left and the right, by the way, is because if you don't have anything else in your life, politics is being asked to fill the void. And so more and more of my former students will say things like, if you don't agree with me, we cannot be friends. Like if you don't agree with this policy, not only do we disagree, but you are personally against me because my politics is who I am now. You see things like weird things, like parents who say, I don't want my child to date somebody who's the opposite political party. There's an interesting article I came across where there's a lady who matches people. She was a matchmaker and she said, usually it was religion. You know, an evangelical Christian and an atheist are not gonna date. She says, now it's all politics. So if we approach politics in that kind of way where it's like the essence of our being, the core of our identity, we are not going to be able to kind of do the Madisonian work of building consensus, building compromise, creating coalitions, which you have to do in a pluralistic society. These kids have no love of pluralism, zilch, zero. They're kind of all Wilsonian, to be honest, which I think is a road to ruin. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. To what extent is the problem with young people really the problem with parents? The parents just don't do parenting. That's exactly right. The book is critical of the adults in our society who literally have stepped back and stopped adulting. Let me explain it this way. So these digital spaces, every single generation of kids would love to have a room in their house where the parents can't go in. So the door is locked and the kids can say or do whatever they want to do. And what I would say is, and my students and my children would agree with me on this, this is the first generation in history that has actually successfully done it. They spend nine to 10 to 15 hours a day in a digital ecosystem, in a kind of space that is so vulgar, so violent, so pornographic, so anti-American, and the adults don't even see it. And so you are absolutely right. We have literally outsourced the socialization of our children to this impersonal space that we can't even monitor. You and I, I think I'm pretty intelligent. I know you're intelligent, but we can't keep up with the kids and their technology. They are light years ahead of us. They know how to hide. They know how to delete. They know how to create secondary, third level accounts. And so the adults have absolutely forfeited that moral and political and intellectual space to social media and to a digital fortress that we can't seem to intrude upon. So to me, that's the problem, is the adults have stopped adulting. There's a challenge in that, left to themselves, there was some deep truth in Golding's Lord of the Flies and the degree to which you really can't recreate civilization in one generation. I mean, you have to inherit it, you have to learn about it. You're dealing with thousands of years of human effort. And to try to think that you know, nine-year-olds left to themselves without parents are somehow going to magically achieve all this is really being totally out of touch with the real world. I'm curious. I noticed that you used the 1776 commission. Why was that? I referenced it in the book. And my last chapter is called Hollowed Out Democracy because what I'm trying to explain to older Americans, I have all these friends who are about my age. I'm 45. And they're not teachers. And they look at the athletes and they look at the Olympians and they're like, what in the world is going on? Why do one out of five millennials see the flag as a symbol of hate? Explain this. So I really try and take a deep dive and explain the perspective that young people have and, and why they have this really different view of America, a really cynical view of America that older Americans just simply don't understand. And the way that they see it, and keep in mind, I'm gonna temper this by saying, Young Americans are the least educated Americans in our history. I mean, their level of civic ignorance, I'm sure you've read all the studies where one out of 10 Americans thinks Judge Judy's on the Supreme Court, right? No more than 33% of the country can name all three branches. I mean, it's awful. So part of it is they just don't know much about American history. But I think what they would say is that they look back on history and say, look, we don't talk about all these episodes. 
We don't talk about the Tulsa massacre. We didn't learn anything about Juneteenth. We didn't realize the level of oppression. We didn't realize just how bad it was. And I think that young people look at those episodes and say, those episodes, that's the real America that I wasn't shown. And now I see the truth and I realize how bad our country is. Whereas you and I would say, hold on a minute, kids. We are not our original sin. We are not where we started. We are not who we were at 18 years old. We take great pride in this country because look at where we went, right? America is not slavery. It's the Civil War and the 13th Amendment and the Emancipation Proclamation. You know, America is not segregation in the KKK. It's Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail and the 24th Amendment and the Civil Rights Act. And so they don't make that pivot the way that you and I do. And so the publisher and I thought it would be a good idea to say, look, this is conventional curriculum that would not have been controversial five or 10 years ago. But now we're in this era of really wanting to point out the flaws of the country without showing what we did about those flaws. That's the reason for including it. If you had a chance to talk to every American grandparents and parents, what would you say to the grandparents first, since that's sort of my generation? It's interesting. The grandparents are the most patriotic generation alive today, the silent generation. 94% of them say that we have a history to be proud of. And I think the best thing that grandparents can do is to really explain to young people the kinds of sacrifices that were made for the life that they have today in a way that my generation, yes, we had 9-11, but grandparents who lived through World War II, who lived through Vietnam, one of the things that just drives me loony, like it makes me so crazy, is I think that the young people alive today, very easily you can make the argument, are the luckiest people in history. I mean, the opportunities, the freedom, they're not gonna die in a war, they're not gonna die of a disease. They have a free education, their technology is the stuff of science fiction. And what I would love grandparents to say is, look, you guys, this didn't happen on accident. Their generation, we literally stormed beaches. Our way of life is not natural. America is the exception to the rule of history. Freedom is not the rule. Enslavement and oppression is the rule. Prosperity is not the rule. Poverty is. And so we're living in this really special moment in human history that other people who came before this generation of young people built and gave to them. And I would hope that older Americans would say, it's up to you. You have to renew the values and the institutions that created your prosperity rather than wanting to tear it all down. It's easy to destroy a civilization. It's ridiculously hard to build one. From your standpoint, are you optimistic that people can be recruited to in fact sort of restart American civilization? To be honest with you, I don't know. I mean, I look at the rates of children who are not living in a stable household. I look at what's happening in education where there's this trend going on that I just can't wrap my brain around where we somehow think that if we decriminalize everything, that crime is going to go away, right? Or if we give everybody a trophy that everybody's excellent. And the version of that in education that makes me kind of cynical, to be honest, is, I don't know if you've seen this, but in Oregon, in New York City, We've taken away all of these standards. Kids don't have to pass tests anymore. We just pass everybody through because somewhere along the way we convinced ourselves that it's oppressive to have standards. And it drives me up the wall because I have seen so much magic in my life, Mr. Speaker, being an inner city high school teacher. I have seen kids do amazing things with their lives because they believed in themselves, 
they believed in this country, but they understood that they had to have deep knowledge, they had to acquire real skills, and they understood that an education was the way to do that. And so it really empowered and impassioned them. And I look at education today, and it's like, we're just gonna push everybody through and act as if there's real achievement taking place. And it is the opposite of giving people the skills to the American dream. We say that we're being compassionate to the least fortunate among us. It's the cruelest thing you can do because you're not giving them the education. It's what George W. Bush called the soft bigotry of low expectations. I wish I could say I'm particularly hopeful, but from my vantage point, things aren't getting better anytime soon. The Oregon decision that there would be no standards for reading, writing, or math. First of all, makes you wonder, so why are they paying for the schools? I did some stuff on the Baltimore City Schools, which had, I think, nine buildings in which nobody had been able to pass a single state exam. And you wondered, I mean, if there was no teaching going on, why are we paying? Because these are expensive schools. I think it's the third most expensive school per capita in the country. The reason is because we now see education as therapeutic. And I have no problem with this, but schools are seen as there to provide social services. We're going to give you three meals a day. We're going to give you counseling services. We're going to deal with your social emotional issues. And it's seen less and less as an academic institution. One of the things that I want to see is, you know, fine, let's do all of this critical race theory stuff. Let's go ahead and just do this for 10 years and let's see if it works. Because I've always noticed that the school districts like Baltimore, you mentioned, did you see last year San Francisco was going to rename like 80 schools? And I just want to know, how's that going to work out in 10 years? You know, when we teach all the CRT, we rename all the schools, we take away the standards, you're hurting the very people you say you want to help. And so I'm skeptical. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Jeremy, I really want to thank you. This has been a very stimulating conversation. And your new book, Hollowed Out, A Warning About America's Next Generation, I think it's a really important contribution to helping us understand what our children and grandchildren are facing and what we ought to do about it. We're going to have it on our show page and a link so people can buy it. I really, really appreciate you taking the time and having the courage to write it and to start this conversation. And I look forward to staying in touch with you as things evolve. Thank you so much, Mr. Speaker. It really was an honor to be here. Thank you again. Thank you to my guest, Jeremy Adams. You can get a link to his new book, Hollowed Out, a warning about America's next generation on our show page at newsworld.com. Newsworld is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers. Our producer is Garnsey Sloan, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newsworld, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at gingrich360.com newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment with a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.